But let me encourage you to turn to the book of Jonah. We're going to look at Jonah 1 this morning, and uh, hopefully I'll be an encouragement to you as you have been to me. Jonah 1. Before we read the, the text, I'm sure all of you know what an opposite is, an opposite. So if I would say, stand up, you would? Sit down. When I say speak up, you would be quiet. Yes. If I say, uh, what's the opposite of hatred or anger? Love or, or joy and peace, right? Now, in today's chapter in Jonah, we will see a lot of opposites. Opposites. And that is the book just after Obadiah and just before Micah. So, Jonah. So, let us read chapter 1 together, and as we read through it, just look at all these opposites, and we'll lift them out as, we, as I go through, through the sermon. But let's read together Jonah 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and then fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the, then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we, what shall we to do, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah 
and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our great God, we pray that you would now turn our ears into eyes, that whatever we hear, that we would see Jesus, and that whatever we hear, that we would hear what you need for us to hear to change our lives, and that we would see where we need to change. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the chapter we're looking at, like I said, is filled with opposites. Jonah 1, we see God instructing Jonah, Jonah, rise and go. God tell, he tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, a city where the nation's biggest enemy was, the Assyrians. They lived there. Jonah should go and preach to them so that they can repent, believe, and be saved. Turn to God. And God gives these instructions to Jonah. But Surprise, surprise. Jonah does the opposite. He does the opposite. Chaos follows, and God, God uses this, this chaotic atmosphere and scene to save more people for his glory. I want us to look at three characteristics this morning of our God that saves. And the first one is our great God reveals his instructions. Second characteristic is our great God reveals his presence. And then thirdly, we'll see our great God reveals his saving grace. Let's look at our great God that reveals his instruction from verse one to three. We know that throughout the ages, God has always used instructions to direct his people. You guys are working through Exodus and you're continually seeing this theme of God instructing them in the way they should go and guarding them. And Jonah had this great privileged position. I mean, he heard audibly from God these instructions. And he's called a prophet, a prophet of God. We see in other parts of the Bible, 2 Kings 14, 25, where Jonah is used by God to instruct the king, King Jeroboam II, the evil king. He was evil and he ruled over Israel. And God spoke directly to Jonah to speak to the king. We see the Lord now sends a word to Jonah. God instructs Jonah, Jonah, get up, take my word to this great city, Nineveh, preach the word there so that people can believe. Because I'm going to destroy the city if they do not repent. So go tell them, I want to save people there, I've got people there that I want to save, and go preach. Now, who was Nineveh? The Assyrians, they occupied the city, all right? And they were great enemies with Israel. They were as bad as it would get. I mean, this is, these are people that are ruthless. They would, before they attack, they would go to the enemy and kidnap some people, torture them to show the, the nation what they are able to do. And through these torturing techniques, they would just surrender the city. So they were, they were evil people. They were intimidating the, the nations. But now God tells Jonah 
Jonah, I know that they're your enemies, but you need to go to your enemies. Because I actually, I have people that I love. I want to save people in that city. Tell them I'm going to send judgment so that they can repent and I can save them. And what do you think Jonah said? Yes, Lord, I'm going. I'm eager for my enemies to be saved. <laughs> nope. No. What did, he do? what did he do? He got up. Well done, Jonah. You got the first instruction right. He got up. And then he went down to Joppa. Tarshish. Now, Nineveh is the modern-day Turkey. Oh, sorry, uh, Iraq. This side for you. Iraq, okay? And Tarshish is the modern-day Spain. So God says, go to Iraq. And Jonah says, I'll get up. But that's pretty much all I'm going to do. I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to go to Spain. This is where he's going. He goes down into the ship. Now, it's interesting. This is also not a season for sailing. This ship was there, but it wasn't there. It shouldn't have been there. And Jonah said, this must be from the Lord. I mean, the ship's there. I'm going there. Oh, no, Jonah, you need to go that way. No, he gets onto the boat, and he wants to flee from the presence of the Lord. Again, you know, it's like a record player. I don't know. Some of you might know what a record player is. But it's like a, a scratch, like, ooh, you can't flee from the Lord. He's neglecting his responsibilities as a prophet. The Lord said, here's my word, go preach. Jonah says, I'll get up, I'm going. I'm, I'm going away. God is asking him to fulfill what God wanted to do from all the ages, from, from Genesis. He wants to save people from all tribes, tongues, and nations. I mean, in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 9, we read that God gave the same instruction to Abraham. He says, go from your country and kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Your name would be great. There will be a blessing on all the families of the earth through Abraham. And what did he do? He got up and he moved. And God made a nation to worship him. So it's from Genesis. So, and Jonah would have known this. And he was just like, mm, no, they're my enemy. I'm going to flee. Abraham was obedient. Not so much Jonah. Why did God want him to go? He wanted him to go to preach so that people can get saved. Now, just a, a side note here. God told Jonah that the evil of the city of Nineveh has come up before him. That's what our text says. Now, Jonah heard this. Okay, the evil of that city came before the Lord. You know what? I'm going to run away from the Lord. Like, well, Jonah, just hang on a second. If that great evil city and their evilness came before the Lord, how, how do you imagine you can flee from the Lord? Which clearly indicates that nothing escapes God. The prophet flees away. He's trying to, but it's strange because Jonah would even know Psalm 139, verses 7 to 8. It says, where shall I go from the, your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make a bed in Sheol, you are there. Can you see his stubbornness? I just do not 
want to go and preach the good news to those people. I'm fleeing. Jonah clearly didn't like what God instructed him to do. And we see in chapter 4 verse 2 why Jonah didn't like this. Jonah knew that the God he served is a gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love God. God wants to save people for his glory. And Jonah knew it. But Jonah also knew that if you were a friend of the Assyrians, made you an enemy of Israel. And he chose that above God's glory. Now God expects him to, to go to this country and or the city and, and make his enemies bow their knee before the God that I serve? No, never. These are wicked people. But again, don't forget who Jonah prophesied against their king, Jeroboam II. He was just as wicked. Can you see Jonah's foolish thought here? I just prophesied against my king, Jeroboam, which was, he was terrible. Now, I also don't want to go to that city that is terrible. Can you see his double standards? It's like, no, but he's an Israelite. They are Assyrians. They can't be chosen. Really? No, we're the special people, right? We're the chosen nation. I can't go there. I mean, he even paid a price for the boat. I'm going to pay to get away from God. I'm going to pay not to share the good news to those people. Church, if you're a believer, are you busy with the same kind of things? Doing the opposite of what God instructs us to do? Especially when it gets to kingdom work? What about the instructions he gives us in the Bible with regards to family? Let, let's start here and move out. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, spouses to love one another, to serve one another, to submit lovingly. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, children obeying your parents in the Lord for it is good. Fathers, not to provoke your children. Those are clear instructions. Why? So that families can be saved, so that families can worship together. How are we doing there? God gives us these instructions to show others who He is. Now, let's cast the net a little wider. Instructions to the church. If you're in Christ and you're part of a church, you have committed to the bride, the church. And God has clear instructions to the church. How about work and pray for the unity and the spirit of peace? Ephesians 4 verse 3. How are we doing there? Caring for one another. Or are we running away because we're too busy to come alongside one another? Go read 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. Where we need to watch over one another. Encouraging one another. Regularly attend church gatherings and faithfully praying for one another. Hebrews 10.25. Rejoice in others' happiness and bear each other's burdens. Romans 12.15-18. Giving to the church for the furtherance of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 9.7. Fighting your own sin. Colossians 3.5. 
pursuing people with the gospel, evangelizing them. Matthew 28 that we read earlier. Those are just a, a small amount of instructions God gives his church. God clearly has instructions to his people. Why? It's so that people will know who he is. Brother, sister, when we pursue unity and a spirit of, of peace, if we look out for one another, loving one another, building one another up, and there's a visitor coming in, and he sees this love, what is he going to think? It's only a God of love that unites us and that enables us to do that. If you start with a family and the family is healthy, this family, it's easy for the gospel to go out because people would want to. Out there, wants to know, I want that. How, how, do you, how do you two love one another? I mean, you've got nothing in common. You, you love arts and music. You love football and baseball. But how do you? You've, you're a millionaire and this one sweeps the streets. How do you love one another? You've got nothing in common. No, we do. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what unites us, brothers and sisters. And we cannot run away from that instruction. We need to exercise this instruction so that this house, this bride, can show the people out there who he is. Can I ask the believers here today, are you doing the opposite of what God instructs us in his word to do? To the person here sitting at, and knows God, but is doing the opposite, can I urge you to stop? And that comes from a loving heart. I don't know most of you, but I know that when we do what God instructs, there's joy, there's love, there's unity. And this brings us to our second characteristic of God, verses 4 to 16. Our great God reveals his presence. Again, we see in our text in verse 4 that starts with, but the Lord. I mean, these poor sailors, just put yourself in their shoes. I mean, they were just going to the next town, boarding the ship, little did they know. It's almost like a pilot, right? You enter the plane and little do you know. It's going to be a shaky ride, but we trust in our pilots, right? Thanks, brothers. They had no idea what, what was coming up. God is coming in vengeance. The Lord hurls a great storm upon the sea. So bad that the ship actually wants to break. As God threw more water and thunder, the more the sailors threw cargo. Out it goes. There goes the rice. There goes the pottery. There goes everything. As God threw, they threw. And look at this. Where is Jonah? Verse 5. Now first, Jonah went down to Joppa to find this boat, to go down to Tarshish. Now he's down in the ship, laying down, snoring. Fast asleep. Down, down, down. 
you see his disobedience, what, is, what does it bring? It's just going down, down, deeper, deeper. And now for the first time, we see the word fear come up. These sailors were afraid of the storm. Who caused the storm, they ask? It is a God. Your God, pray to him. And your God, just, just pray. Who do you serve? Just pray to that God. It's somewhere, somehow, the universe got upset with us. I don't know who it is and whose God it is, but that's why they're fearful. They know that something's going wrong. And this is the first stage of this sailor, the sailors building a healthy fear of God. They cry out to these different gods. Now, the captain is like, wait, hang on a second. Someone's missing here. Uh, where's the catalog? Uh, it's Jonah. Where's Jonah? He goes down to the ship. He's like, You're sleeping. Get up. Pray to your God. Maybe it's your God that's angry so that we can be saved. And it's interesting. The captain basically uses the same words as God. He says, arise, speak, go. In verse 7, they find themselves casting lots. Now, this put the smile on my face. I mean, casting lots, it's all about luck, right? If you throw dice, you don't know if it's going to be a 5 or a 6 or a 7. And we don't know if they pulled little straws. It's not there. But it's lots. And even God is in control of lots. He knows. Hey, these ones are going to point to jo uh, Jonah, guaranteed. He knows. He's in control of this. And it falls on Jonah, surprise, surprise. And here it is. All the sailors. <laughs> Jew. Must be you. Who are you? Where are you from? Why did you upset your God? I mean, rapid fire questions, right? And Jonah's, yeah, it's me. Now, it's interesting, verse 9, how he answers these sailors. He didn't say, you know, I'm a prophet from God. Look what he says. I'm a Hebrew. He cannot answer saying that I am a prophet of God. He's feeling guiltier. Jonah answers, I'm a Hebrew man, Israelite. Now, here's the second time we see the word fear. Jonah exclaims that he has fears, he has caused this great commotion. I have sinned against the creator of heaven and earth. And because of God's presence in the storm, Jonah realized, like, what have I done? Because of my sin, these men are going to die. It's all on me. And I can't run away. I mean, he's stuck in a boat. What was I thinking? If only God found me. I was trying to run away, but I can't. As I did the opposite of what God instructed me to do, now these men are going to die. Jonah leaves no empty space for the sailors in their minds who God is. He says, it's the creator. The one that created all of this, this wind and thunder and waves, that's the God that I serve. And you can almost see these guys like, are you crazy? What were you thinking? I mean, look at this. 
and you want to run away? Now in verse 10, the sailors now are exceedingly afraid. Verse, uh, that, that's the third time it comes up. Can you see how they progress? It's, it, first of all, we fear a God. We don't know. Whoever you serve. Now they fear Jonah's God. But still not specific. That's, it's your God. Okay, we understand that. And you fleeing from this God. Pray to him. But now they're asking in verse 11, what shall we do to save ourselves? What shall we do? It's almost the same as in Acts 2 where the people said to Peter after his sermon, it's like, what shall we do to be saved? What did he tell them? Repent, believe, and be baptized. It's almost the same here. What shall we do, Jonah? I mean, we don't want to die. Jonah simply tells them in verse 12, pick me up, chuck me in the water. What? You want us to kill you? God is throwing down the storm. The sailors are throwing over cargo. And now Jonah says, leave the cargo. Just chuck me overboard. What? In December 2021, a friend of mine, I still say he was foolish, but anyway, he signed us up for, to compete in the world's most dangerous sport, uh, boat race in the world. It's a little rubber duck. Are you familiar with a rubber duck? It's like two pontoons just with a plank in the middle with a motor at the back. Small little things, probably a little bit bigger than the piano. Five days, open sea. And I can still remember on day three, my friend Dwayne and I got into the small little boat with an engine and uh, it's lined up on the beach and then the hooter goes off and you run to your boat and you push it into the sea and off you go. And beautiful waves, it's about this high, and you ramp over it, and it's kind of fun, and you go, and as we turned around the corner, all of a sudden, the sea decided, we are done with you guys. <laughs> 20 feet swells, shark fin, wind, rain, I'm in front, he speeds up crashes over the wave, and you don't know what's behind there. It could be another wave. Sometimes there is another wave, and it catches you. Sometimes you just fall. And I can remember, clearly remember, about three times that I said, Lord, it's my time. Thank you for numbering my days. I apologize that I was foolish coming with Dwayne on this boat race. <laughs> I've had it. And I was throwing my body back and forth to stabilize the boat, and Dwayne was going, opening up, and calming down, and after a while, I turned around, I shook my head at Dwayne, and Dwayne was just like, <laughs> couldn't do anything. The Lord brought us through this. I'm standing here today, so there's that. But it was scary. Couldn't see land. Now, can you imagine what these sailors were going through? They didn't even have a motor. They had these oars, just trying to row. And Jonah says, just chuck me overboard. It's fearful to fall into the hands of a living God, brothers and sisters. These men clearly did not want to kill another man. They even prayed to Jonah's God. God, don't let his blood be on my hands. Please, we'll do it, but don't punish us for it. 
Unlike Jonah, he was very happy for other people's blood to be on his hands. The Assyrians, really? <laughs> I'm not going there. They can be killed. God even said, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to bring destruction. Okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm going to Spain. These heathen, these men say, God, I do not want to be punished for this man's blood. Now, they started rowing harder. No, we can't kill this man, and they start rowing. But now the storm just gets worse. Imagine that for a moment. Rowing, you're not making any gain, it's done. Sailors come up to Jonah, we're sorry, we're going to do it. Off you go. Jonah, water, done. But look at the text, it says, and the sea calmed. Like this. It's peace. As soon as they did what God said, peace came about. It's quiet. Imagine. Waves and go, done, it's finished. Doing the right thing might not be the easiest, but it brings peace between you and God. Are you someone running away from God? Not wanting to do the right thing? Now for the fourth time in verse six, we see fear come up. These sailors feared the Lord exceedingly. You see the progression here? First they feared their own God. Then they feared the storm and the things. And then they feared Jonah's God. Now they fear God. This fear wasn't shaking in your boots kind of fear. This fear is an awe-inspiring, drop down onto your knees kind of fear. I want to serve this God. Worship-driven fear, worshiping the almighty creator. They offered thanksgiving, sacrifices, and made vows to God. It's like committing to this, to this great God, I want to serve this great God. He's my God. They're praising the Lord for answering their pleads. Because they acted out of obedience, and the Lord spared their lives. Their fear drove them to obedience, and then worship. In Exodus 19, we see something similar. Maybe you'll remember that. It's a little while ago that you preached through Exodus 19. But it's thunder and lightning on the mountain where God reveals himself. And he even tells Moses, do not let the people come near the mountain. They will die. I am a holy God. And the nation said, they fear God. But it was a holy, reverential fear. We do not want to upset this God. We want to serve and worship Him. It's a respectful fear. They felt God's presence in the storm. They saw His presence in Jonah's words. God explaining who He is. I want us to appreciate this progression, as I said. That it grew from other gods to the God. Revelation, confession, conversion, and worship. 
Can you say the same thing in your life? Where God reveals himself to you, you confess your sins, there's a change in your life, and then you worship him. There's peace, calm. Can we say that we have a healthy fear of God that drives us to worship? Is our fear of God's presence driven in worship? Not fear. Remember the sailors, they just wanted to row harder. You cannot be saved by your works. It's submitting to the creator God. You the God. I'm bowing my knees. And then works will flow from that, yes. But it's our fear of the holy God that makes us worship him. It's God's presence that creates a healthy fear in you to prevent you from sinning or to prevent you from hiding sin even. Jonah was underneath in the belly of the, the boat. We'll get to the big fish now. He was there. He was hiding. Adam and Eve, they were hiding. Brother, sister, can I ask you to, to just come out, be transparent, confess your sins, because you, we are worshiping a holy God, and let that fuel your worship? Or are you doing the opposite of what he's instructing us to do? Will you, like the sailors, bow down and worship God? for who he is, because you know him as a holy creator, as savior, serving him with thankfulness and joyfulness? Or are you still there trying to row with your good works? Who do you think of? What do you think of when you think of God? What about Jonah? Don't forget him. I mean, the sailors are safe, sound. They're on the boat going to where they need to go. Obviously without cargo, but leave that to them. Where's Jonah? Verse 17. Our great God reveals his saving grace. Jonah, I don't know how long you guys can swim. I can't swim a long time. It's just bobbing up and down there in the water. What now? We see God's grace at work yet again. Jonah sacrificed himself, and now he's floating out into the deep sea. Not only did God save the sailors, but God sends this great fish to save Jonah, his prophet. Even though Jonah was disobedient and he rejected God's instructions and doing the opposite of his mission, God graciously saves Jonah. Why? to return to his mission. We shouldn't get distracted with a great fish. It's not about the great fish. It's about our great God that saves. But brother, sister, don't forget this. Jonah basically spat in God's face. I'm not going there that you instruct me to go to. I'm going to go there. I'm disobedient. Yet God saves him. Don't think that your life is so bad that God can't save you. He will save you, so you might as well bow the knee and worship him. 
confess your sins, and be saved. I want us to go back to Jonah's sacrificial deed here. Through Jonah's sacrificial act, offering himself up to, for the lives of these men, the sailors, God reveals himself through Jonah, speaking truth about them to save these sailors. He says, you were disobedient, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save these people. Work all to good, get together for good. Now God graciously saves Jonah through creation, a fish. Brother, sister, we know another man that stands in contrast with Jonah. His name is Jesus. Where Jonah did the opposite of God's instruction, Jesus fulfilled everything that God instructed him to do. Where Jonah ran away, Jesus came to serve. Where Jonah hid away, Jesus boldly came to proclaim the word. Jonah was a man, Jesus is God. Jonah deserved to die, Jesus didn't, because he was perfect. He is perfect, he's God. The only similarity between Jonah and Jesus is that both sacrificed themselves. But Jonah's act, however, only saved these men temporarily. In that moment, in the sea, in the storm, yes. But they will, will one day die again, or die. Only God, only Jesus can save you from the eternal death. Jesus fulfilled God's plan for his creation to save people for himself. Jesus sacrificed himself, absorbing the judgment storm of God for the ones that acknowledge us that they cannot save themselves. For those people, Jesus died and he will save them. Titus 2 verse 14 says, who gave himself, talking about Jesus, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to, the, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Just like the sailors in Jonah that couldn't save themselves, neither can we, brothers and sisters. No one can. Only those that acknowledge that they cannot save themselves and put their faith in Christ, only those that will, will be saved. And even that is a work of the Holy Spirit. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the fish, and immediately, I bet you, your mind goes to Jesus in the tomb, right? Which is true. We read about it earlier in Matthew. But not for the readers of this text. Remember, Jesus only came afterwards, but Jonah was read even before Jesus. So, what does this mean? I mean, Jesus even spoke. We read Matthew 12, verse 40 earlier. What does it mean? And he says it's his own death, burial, and resurrection. So, what do we make of this? Well, in the context of Jonah, it means that God showed Jonah grace in this miraculously saving act in preserving his life. Why? It is to give the readers a sign of God's saving grace so that they can repent and turn to God, pointing people to the fact that Nineveh repented 
Now, just imagine here for a moment. I don't know, I'm, I'm, my imagination can run wild a little bit sometimes. But now, Jonah's in the, in the belly, right, in this great fish, and he vomits him out, right? Now, imagine someone on the beach, tan, whatever. Now, there's fish. I need to tell someone, honestly. Or there's some fishermen, if you think the fish didn't spit him out on the beach, fine, here's the story for you. Fisherman on the boat, here comes the fish, levels out, same thing. At least he can wash himself. Now they row back to the beach and say, I need to go tell these people in Nineveh. I mean, the thing that I just saw. Really? Guys, there was a guy, his name is Jonah. He, this is what happened. He's coming to tell you that you need to repent. You better repent. I, I just, right? That's exactly what Jesus did. Remember Jonah's story? Where he went to Nineveh and he told the guys to repent and believe? I'm the same. I'm here to tell you to repent and believe. And what did they do? Ah, we're not going to repent. We're actually going to kill you, right? Jesus is telling the Pharisees that he will die, that he will conquer death. Praise God for that. He will rise again in newness of life. And this is the sign that Jesus is, is giving them. What will you do? Will you be the same as the Ninevites in repenting and believing? They didn't. They killed him. Rejecting the Savior. My question to you today is, hearing about, about God's giving the instruction about repenting and believing, the sailors did, the Ninevites did, hearing that Jesus is God and he is the only one that can save you from death, the death of sin, the eternal death, what would you do with that? Will you also say, nah, it's not for me? Or will you turn to God, bow the knee, and ask him to forgive your sins and be saved and worship him in truth? We know that God is a merciful and gracious God. He is the only one that can save. God rules over the storm, the boat, the fish. Will you follow God's instruction? Or will you do the opposite and run away from Him? Trying through your own works to be saved. Will you do the opposite and not worship Him as the only Savior? Brother, sister, God will find you. He will bring you. Will you acknowledge God's presence and react in worship, our great creator God that saves? That's the question that you will have to answer. Let us pray. Our great God, we want to thank you. Thank you that you're the one that saves. Thank you that you want to save people for your glory. And we pray that you would do this today. Save those that are not yours yet. We pray that they would turn to you, bow the knee and worship. We pray that your kingdom will come 
as we hear more of you and from you. Lord, and we pray for all of us that have been saved already. We pray that you would help us not to do the opposite, but to listen to your instruction and live holy lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.